Glad to have you with us on the Bible and our culture. I'm Pastor J. McPherson with Liberty Remnant Church. Excited to continue with the story of Gideon. Gideon is relevant to our culture in so many ways. Let's take a look at Judges chapter 6. And we covered a bunch of it last time, but we'll start in verse 7 today. It says, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, who were oppressing them and stealing from them, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said to him, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he had put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it's still in Oprah of the Abersites. Pretty interesting passage of scripture. So last time we talked about how though we have brought judgment on ourselves as a nation, we call on God's mercy for revival. That's why I think this story is so relevant for today. And we see this cycle in the book of Judges where God's people fell into sin and then they were snared by their oppressors. They cried out to God in supplication, and he brought salvation through the judges, through a deliverer, and they enjoyed success. But then with the success, they fell into sin, and that snared them to their enemies. They cried out to God for supplication, and he brought salvation, 
and led to success. And this is happening over and over and over again, just like Scooby-Doo. Same story, just sort of a little bit different characters. And that's what the book of Judges is like, and really that's what the Old Testament is like. But we saw last week how Jesus will show up in mercy and call us to repentance. And if we obey him, he's got all the power in the world to bring deliverance, to bring revival, to bring reformation, or whatever's in his will. We just have to submit to him and let him handle the details. So now as we get in this story, verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is an Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. <laughs> so <laughs> we talked about it last week, but you can't. You can't really thresh wheat in a wine press. Wine press is like a hidden in a cave or hidden, hidden down low, but you'd thresh wheat on a hilltop. That way you'd have a breeze to blow the chaff away from the wheat. You throw the, 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 the husks up there, and then the, the crispy, feathery uh, chaff blows away in the wind, and then the wheat falls on the ground, and you're just able to separate it that way. But down in a wine press, that would have been judgment in itself, trying to pick all the, the thresh, pick all the chaff, away from the wheat. But he didn't have any choice because the Midianites would kill him. So it's here where the angel of the Lord appears to him and almost ironically says to him, Yahweh is with you, you mighty man of valor. It certainly didn't appear that way. Gideon? Well, he was pretty much from the weakest tribe. Manasseh was the tribe that was divided across the Jordan into two different halves. And we don't know many famous people that came out of the tribe of Manasseh. I really can only think of one of them. That would be Gideon himself. I can't think of anybody else. So pretty much one of the weakest tribes, if not the weakest. And he himself said he was from the weakest clan and that he was least in his father's house. And the angel of the Lord didn't argue with him. So he must have been telling the truth in that regard. We see him hiding in fear and fully convinced of his inadequacy. You know what? That's a pretty good place to start for a miracle. When you're that convinced of your inadequacy and you're looking to God and having a conversation with God, who knows what can happen? Because even though the angel of the Lord knew all this about Gideon, he still saw him as a mighty man of valor. And we apply that knowing that God sees beyond our current state into what we will become through his grace and power. It's really not so much about you, but are you going to let the power of God flow through you? Are you going to fully submit to him and let yourself be used of him? If so, he's calling the shots, but you have all the power and the resources and the finances and the ideas and the opportunity, whatever you need to fulfill the purpose God has for you, you have while you're submitted to him. There's a interesting verse in Romans 4:17 talking about Abraham, the father of our faith. It says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's kind of an interesting phrase there. If a human were to call those things which do not exist as though they were, that would be lying. <laughs> we can't do that. Hey, honey, did you eat all the chocolate chip cookies that were here? Uh, no, dear. Must have been the kids. I'm calling those things which be not as though they were. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I, technically, I am, but I'm lying. The cop pulls me over for speeding. Oh, no, that wasn't me. That was another car that just passed. 
I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. We can't really just call those things that are not as though they were, because that would be lying. But when God does it, he is in his perfect wisdom speaking into a situation toward the future. To God, Abraham was always the great father of the faith. But it wasn't until Abraham was sure of the word of the Lord in faith that the promise came to fruition. It took a while, didn't it? But Abraham could agree with God when God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And that's what he was doing with Gideon. You mighty men of valor. He <laughs> didn't look like it at that time. But he would certainly become that before his story's over. But now, let's talk about faith. Abraham was afforded time for his faith to grow. And that's the picture of faith. It's like a mustard seed. It grows. And we see that in, in Abraham's life in the book of Genesis. He had some faith from the beginning, but he didn't always display faith. He often seemed to display doubt and cowardice. Remember the story where he was heading into, I think, uh, Abimelech or Egyptians. He actually went to both places. And, and he says, hey, uh, Sarah, you're really pretty. And I'm afraid that they'll kill me when they see you and take you as their wife. So would you please tell them I'm your brother? That way, when they want to rape you, they don't kill me. Would you do that for me, honey, please? Of course, God stepped into the situation and, and wouldn't let Abimelech or the Egyptians treat Sarah poorly, and they had to give Sarah back. It happened twice. Now, once, maybe. You could still see cowardice and doubt when it happened the first time. But the fact that it happened again, that doesn't sound like the father of faith to me. So Gideon and Abraham, they both needed a bit of time for their faith to grow. Gideon doesn't get a whole lot of time, but we can see <laughs> when the Lord first calls him, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of faith. So it's okay to let your faith grow. Now, if your faith is going to grow, that means you are in the word. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10 says, and hearing by the word of God. So if we are studying the word and we're speaking the word and we're meditating on the word, declaring the word of God, that's how faith grows. So it's okay to give yourself time to grow, but hesitating in fear it's not giving your faith time to grow. It's just disobedience. Now, I can appreciate somebody who's genuinely nervous and trying to obey God and still feel the fear. But if you're obeying God anyway, he's going to bless you and use that. We must begin with this understanding, with this conviction that God uses imperfect people as a great way to build his ministry. Victory often comes through unlikely sources. We already mentioned Abraham, but how about Jacob, who would become Israel? His very name meant deceiver and supplanter. He was, he was a conniver, but God used him and blessed him. Now, Joseph, his son, Joseph was really talented, really handsome, seemed to have everything going for him, but the circumstances really stunk. You know the story. Joseph was thrown into a pit to be killed, but they decided to sell him anyway. So here he is, a, a, a slave. Well, that was just God moving him and various setbacks and all sorts of uh, death to his vision. But eventually Joseph ran the whole world. And in the setting, seemed like God couldn't use him, but he did. And of course, we know Moses tried to kill an Egyptian, had a temper, had issues with his kids. But Moses was, was the guy who led God's people out of slavery. We'll see here in a little bit, if you continue to read the book of Judges, a man by the name of Jephthah. He was a great judge. He was a son of a prostitute. And David, well, we know most, he's pretty famous for being the kid that killed the giant. 
But he went on to kill other Philistines, other giants, a whole bunch of them. And how he did that is pretty miraculous. But then even when he was a great hero, we know that he fell into sin. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He abused his power as a tyrant. But God still used him. He's an unlikely source. How about David's mighty men? They were all losers. They were all people in debt and fugitives. But God used them. Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. He had murdered Christians. Of course, Simon Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth, but God used him, preached the, the sermon on the day of Pentecost, and so many people got saved, and really all the disciples. But really, when you think about it, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus didn't have anything wrong with him by any means, but he was a, from Nazareth. He seemed to be an illegitimate son. And from Nazareth? Well, they made fun of Nazareth. That was not the place for Messiah to come, but Jesus came from there. So we can go on and on about all these unlikely sources to bring God's victory. How about you? How about me? I feel like an unlikely source most of the time, but guess what? As I submit to God and obey his word, wow, amazing things can happen and I believe will happen. Let's take a quick break and be back in 60 seconds. Two years ago, Liberty Remnant Church was founded in Spokane by a group of committed Christ followers who, believing God, sought to build a distinct local church for His glory. LRC is a simple, relational, biblical church that holds firm to the basic tenets of biblical Christianity. We believe we are to represent Christ's love, power, and wisdom in every and any facet of society. Perhaps you've seen our pastor, Jay McPherson, or others from Liberty Remnant Church, either standing up at Spokane City Hall or at a local school board meeting in the area. We believe we are called to be salt and light as we bring people to new life in Christ. If you are looking for a local church or know someone who is, please consider what God is doing at Liberty Remnant Church. We meet every Sunday at the Oakwood Inn, 7919 North Division at 10 a.m., for more information or to contact our pastor, please check out our website at libertyremnantchurch.org. Once again, that's libertyremnantchurch.org. We're back at the Bible and our culture. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson, where we look at the culture through the lens of Scripture. And I don't look at the Scripture through the lens of the culture. Otherwise, the world will squeeze you into its mold. We've been talking about the call of Gideon. Gideon had a lot of questions. He seemed to have a lot of fear. He didn't have a whole lot of faith, but he would get there. And we're talking about the type of person God uses. God uses people with flaws. He uses people that don't seem to have the best circumstances going for them. And we listed a whole bunch in scripture, but the Bible's full of examples of the kind of people that God uses, unlikely sources for victory. I want to read something that you might have seen on the internet and email. It's a fictional concept of what if Jesus decided he wanted to hire a management consultant team to hire his 12 disciples. Obviously, it didn't work like that. But if we try and apply what he did today, it might come out something like this. Subject, resume of the 12 disciples from Jordan Management Consultants. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our tests, and we have not only been able to run the results through our computer, 
but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. This additional insight is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both have registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. <laughs> I think there's some truth in that. Not that it actually happened, but it is kind of funny how what the world calls successful might be totally different than what God calls successful. The person that the world might choose, probably not the person or people that God would choose. I want to take a moment to look and contrast Abraham Lincoln and his rivals real quick. Abraham Lincoln is uh, not necessarily popular today with a lot of conservatives, but I, I like uh, some of the wisdom that he showed and certainly all that he overcame. As you probably know, if you know anything about Abraham Lincoln, he was raised in poverty without hardly any education, an abusive father who didn't want him to read books, and he became a lawyer himself and obviously became the 16th president of the United States. His rival in Springfield was Justice Stephen Douglas, who also uh, ran against each other for the Senate and for the presidency. Uh, Stephen Douglas was a Democrat, and unlike Lincoln in every way, he was rich, Lincoln was poor, he was educated at the top schools. Lincoln was hardly educated at all. Lincoln was tall and skinny. Douglas was short and fat. And they had uh, a lot of debates, both in Springfield and then nationally. And, uh, of course, Stephen Douglas uh, won the Senate twice, defeating Lincoln. But I think it's interesting to note, when it really mattered for the presidency leading up to the Civil War, Lincoln was chosen and not the sympathetic to slavery Stephen Douglas. And then, of course, the president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis, much like Stephen Douglas, well-educated, rich, aristocratic family. And Lincoln ended up winning the war uh, against Jefferson Douglas's Confederacy, or excuse me, Jefferson Davis's Confederacy. And then if you know much about the Civil War, you know that Lincoln had a hard time finding a general to lead the Union Army. Twice he had no other choice but to choose George McClellan. George McClellan was insubordinate. He wasn't uh, very cooperative. He didn't respect Lincoln. Why? Because George McClellan came from a rich, 
aristocratic family and was educated in Europe and all the finest schools around. So he didn't respect Lincoln, and so Lincoln kept having to fire him. Well, eventually, George McClellan ran against Lincoln for the presidency for a second term, and Lincoln thought uh, Lincoln was going to lose. But, uh, of course, he won, and the contrast with Lincoln's rivals couldn't be more stark. I mean, these guys were all rich, all came from this proud lineage, all were highly educated, while Lincoln had no real lineage to brag about. Lincoln had no money and, and very little education. Ironically, the other two famous people with the Union, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Frederick Douglass, the, the once slave, they too had very little education and didn't come from much wealth. Maybe Grant a little bit, but obviously uh, Frederick Douglass was a slave. He owned nothing. He told everybody that he stole his arms and legs and ran off with him from his master. Well, Frederick Douglass, being uh, a former slave, a fugitive slave, he ended up being one of the richest people in the North, and he owned no real land. He simply was such a uh, high-in-demand speaker that people would pay all sorts of money to have him come and speak at their events. And all three of these guys would contrast to the failures, Stephen Douglas, Jefferson Davis, and George McClellan. And I think that's really typical of how God sees us. He's not looking for the pedigree. He's not looking for the education. He's looking for a heart that is submitted to him and full of faith. So back to Judges 6, verse 13, Gideon said to him, this is the angel of the Lord, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his miracles, which our father told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Gideon was factually correct about his objections, but he seemed to miss the main point. The main point was the prophet had said earlier, God hadn't been with them because they left him. They broke his laws and embraced the world's philosophies and standards. That's why all this stuff was coming upon them, because they turned their back on God and embraced the temptations of the philosophies of their day. God, in his great mercy, even redeems the situation when nations betray him. That's what he did here with Gideon, and that's what he can do with America. Verse 13, halfway down it says, But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? It's amazing. In essence, the angel of the Lord ignored Gideon's question there. Gideon was factually correct, and the Lord didn't rebuke him for his questions. God had not been with them. Why? Because they broke his laws and accepted the world's ways. So how do we apply that to our lives? Well, I think it says that God isn't offended by our learning questions, so long as we accept his view and perspective as true and final. God will let you ask questions if you're trying to learn, but what he doesn't like is the whiny, complaining questions full of unbelief. So when he says, go in this might of yours, have I not sent you? Gideon, who showed very little might in the natural, could not be mighty in himself, but only in the one who God was sending him into battle. So if you are chosen of God, you are called. Power and the victory is in the one who sends you. You just have to submit and obey. We see that Gideon, Gideon felt inadequate, he felt inferior, and he felt insecure. 
the three eyes that I think cause a lot of God's people to, to not move out in faith, to not submit to him or to not fulfill the destiny that he has for us. It's because we feel inadequate, inferior, and insecure. Well, so did Gideon. He didn't feel he could lead God's people to victory. Gideon's call makes all of our excuses and objections obsolete, since only once did the Father choose a truly adequate human, and that was Jesus. Everybody else has flaws, so that should be good news to you. It's good news to me. Verse 16, And the Lord said to Gideon, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. The angel of the Lord is really relentless in his encouragement, isn't he? So verse 12, he says, the Lord is with you. Two verses later, he says, have I not sent you? Two verses after that, in verse 16, he says, surely I will be with you. Three times in five verses, God makes it really clear, Gideon, it's really not about you. <laughs> you might be the least in your father's house. You might be the le- your clan might be the least in Manasseh. And Manasseh might be the, the least clan in all of Israel. But so what? If I'm with you, and I've sent you, and I'll be with you, you're going to do just fine. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians verse 12. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul says that Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Gideon was weak in his own view of himself. Therefore, he was strong in that he would depend on God and God would help him. God would direct him. The Lord commanded Paul, in this scenario, to embrace his inadequacy so that God's strength would rest on him. So that means I can embrace my inadequacy, and God's strength will rest on me. God's strength is available to those who are humble and full of faith. Also in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 4, And such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate excuse me, adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Wow, that's got to be encouraging. We can have confidence through Christ that he made us adequate ministers of his new covenant. We didn't have to apply. We didn't have to pass an exam. But because he made us adequate ministers, We have a testimony to share. We have a a story to tell people about. We can tell people what Jesus has done for us, and we can expect his power to flow through us. It doesn't mean you're never going to have anybody disagree with you. It doesn't mean that you're going to have people not like your story about how Jesus saved you. But that's all irrelevant, really, when it comes to eternity. You don't need to wait to be in the ministry. I'm thinking that if you... Submit to God and obey Him. You're in the ministry. What's all this about vocational ministry? It's kind of overrated. You are in the ministry so long as you remain in Christ and do what He is directing you to do. That's what Gideon 
was doing. He was like, I want to believe, but look at all these problems. Look at how messed up we are. We've been oppressed for so long. And God kept reassuring them, I am with you. I have sent you. It's going to be all right. Your job is to trust and obey. And that's our job as well. Thanks for being part of the Bible and our culture. You can find past episodes on our website, libertyremnantchurch.org, or wherever you find your podcast. Thank you. See you next week.